Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, they say pitching and defense go hand in glove, and that's what's carrying the Rays. It did so again in Game 1 of the American League Championship Series. The Rays beat the Astros 2-1. Blake Snell gave up a run in five innings. Randy Arozarena homered. Mike Zanino. Drives in the winning run, and Diego Castillo closed it out as he had done so to finish off the Yankees. Some defensive gems won this game, there's no doubt about it. So we have all that to talk about, as well as, of course, their um, clinching of their series against the Yankees in dramatic fashion. Meanwhile, the Bucks have another day before they have to get back to practice on Tuesday for preparation for their game against the Packers. Bruce Arian says they were outcoached in Chicago well, you should believe him. We'll tell you why. And we'll talk about what's really beating the Bucks And some good college football over the weekend. Gators fall to Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. Florida State loses to Notre Dame. Miami is a loser at Clemson. And USF embarrassed by East Carolina. Not a good week. A good weekend, I should say, for the state. We've got all that and a lot more to talk about on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, you know, uh, Old Northeast Jewelers has a new location that they've added. You want to make sure you check this out in addition to their 4th Street St. Pete location. They now have a brand-new store in Hyde Park. Their grand opening was Saturday, and the address is 1607 West Swan Avenue, again, in Hyde Park Village in Tampa. Now, the Grand Seiko, that's what they carry. It's described as pure essentials of watchmaking elevated to a level of art. This is not your grandfather's Seiko. It's Grand Seiko, the ultimate in timekeeping, the ultimate in style, and the ultimate in collectability. Say that Rick Stroud and Steve Versnick sent you and will give you one extra year warranty on your purchase. That's Old Northeast Jewelers, of course, in St. Petersburg, and also the new store in Hyde Park at 1607 West Swan Avenue. All right, Steve, lots to talk about, of course, since we last uh, talked on Friday Um we were there at the game, of course, Thursday night. Uh, the Bears and the Bucks will get to a little bit of that and some of the aftermath and some of the injuries. But um, talk about drama. I was in Chicago. I stayed there over the weekend with my in-laws. Of course, my wife's family is from there. We brought the kids, woke the neighbors, all of that. And I'm sitting there uh, watching this Yankees game. And, I mean, you know, for a 2-1 to one ball game, that was as good. If, I mean, I don't know if you're into pitching or not necessarily, but the tension – was certainly there, which is odd, right? Because there's no fans and all of that. Um, but that was a well-played game, well-pitched game, obviously. And you couldn't script it. This is what I love, love about sports, is that it's the ultimate reality show, right? Like, you could sit here and you could say, well, you're going to have this kid. He wasn't drafted. Um, you know, didn't go to a big college. You know, weighed about 150 pounds out of high school. You know, kept at it. Mom and dad were supportive. Next thing you know, he gets a, a chance to sign on as an undrafted dude, kicks around in the minors for a while, makes it to the big leagues, and although that's not his goal. And, and oh, yeah, by the way, about a week or so ago, Aroldis Chapman threw a 101-mile-an-hour pitch at his head that he just missed, which, which you know precipitated sort of a bench-clearing uh, 
encounter between the two teams. And then he's going to come up in the penultimate game in the American League Divisional Series, and he's going to face Chapman again. And after like what was like a nine-pitch at bat and going down 0-2, he jacks one to give them essentially the 2-1 to win. And then the Rays are on their way to the American League Championship Series. Diego Castillo closed it out. This is something you can't begin to imagine sometimes, and yet there it is. The ultimate reality show played right out in front of us. It, it was it was just, I would say, and there's going to be debate about this, what is the biggest home run in Rays history, right? A lot of people say Longo, right? Game 163, there was obviously some, some uh, other big ones as they went to the World Series. I think this now becomes the penultimate for what it meant and, and for the backstory behind it. I thought that I thought that that's the biggest moment in race history so far. If they win the World Series, it will be. I, I, now, it, you could say, you know, Aki's, you know, stepping on second base and David Price and all that to go to the World yep. Series, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and I say that. Brasso's could be the biggest, but if they win the World mm-hmm. Series, it will, it will be, barring some moment in the World Series that trumps it, of course. Sure, sure, exactly. Uh, but, you know, that... The the whole stage of you know what happened a month prior with Chapman throwing at his head and and the teams don't like each other and, and now this is for Chapman this is two years in a row that he's given up the series losing home run I mean that's your closer yeah, that's, right. that's your ace that's your you know and, and on a team that you know had Mariano Rivera for so many years in that closer's role and you know you've got Chapman there trying to to carry that that tradition on of great closers and and. That's you know he gave it up to Altuve last year against the Astros and then this year to Brasso. Um, that that's rough for the Yankees, um, but for Mike Brasso, I mean you know if you would have told me who's going to hit a home run off Chapman, he's one of the last guys I'm calling. You know, it, it's, well maybe I mean, he's a right-handed hitter. Well, no, no, but <laughs> so but, but I mean I, you know I would have you know for the game-winning slot, spot in the eighth inning in that game, I mean Brasso's not the first guy I'm taking off the bench for that. You know, and, yeah. and it's just—I mean, that's like you said. That's why we love sports. It's—it's it's unscripted. It's—you never know what's going to happen. And sometimes the best storylines seem unreal, but it works. And, and you know, it was—I mean, what a moment for him and the Rays. And you know, let I me mean, make no doubt about it: the Rays are the best team in the American League this year. Now they may—they may beat the Astros in this series. They may not and go to the you know World Series, or maybe not. But. This year, there was no doubt that the, the Rays were the best team in the American League this year. And, you know, they proved it over time with, you know, if you read some of the Yankees writers and, and you know, how far the Yankees, you know, they think the Yankees are behind the Rays in, in, in strategy and development and, and, and everything that goes into it, you know, outside some, you know, big boppers and Garrett Cole. You know, they you know they think that the Rays are you know miles ahead of of the Yankees at this point, and and they may be right. I, I'll tell you though, when you, when you're facing that lineup and you see Stanton and you see Judge mm-hmm. and you see all these guys, Lemayhew and all these guys coming up, they don't feel like a better team to me. They just don't. They play better, um, and and I think you know the sum of their parts, one through twenty five, one through thirty five, whatever you want to say. Will will get any organization. Of course, they approach it totally different. But I mean, my goodness, that's a talented and and a very expensive baseball team with Garrett Cole on the other side, and for them to take them down. See what I liked about this, and John Romano wrote about this uh, in the column, and and I was thinking about it um, the night that it occurred, is that Mike Brasso 
he embodies what the Rays are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, find this guy undrafted, give him a chance, put him in the right situation at that moment, and he delivers. And that happens time and time again. I, on the same field as the $350 million pitcher or the $200 million reliever who threw the ball at his head a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it, it, the contrast in organizations sort of are represented by Rosso. It's it was really, you know, it was really more than just than just his story, which is phenomenal. It's the story of the Rays, you know. Well, in, in every game, it, it, it feels it's like how it's, they win. Yeah, every game, it feels like it's someone different winning it, and and that's that mm-hmm. the part of that. Some of the parts is greater than, yeah, you know, other teams whole. or whatever else is that. You know, every no. every game it feels like it's somebody different, other than a Rosarina. It seems like he's in every game, but because uh, he's been unreal yeah. this postseason. But you know, I mean, your best player this year, Brendan Lau, is what it was in an O for twenty two slump, and you know, he gets an infield single. It could have been an error. I mean, either way, um, mm-hmm. you know, Austin Meadows, who was your best player last year, has been you know hurt some and had you know was tested yeah. positive early in the season, and so he's not. He's not what he was last season, and yet they're still winning, and although, they're a better team than last going year. Back, going back, going back, going back to going back to what was it Saturday or Friday night? Yeah. He had a big home run in that one to tie it up. Absolutely, he did. But um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. All their stars are not really are not the ones they're riding. I mean, Yandy Diaz came back, and he is batting about 050, but his on base percentage is around four hundred because he, he's got a good eye and he walks, but mm-hmm. he's not giving him anything. So all all the guys that that had you know they count on for for you know the big hits. I mean, you got guys like you know Joey Wendell is their hitting star. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. that's um, they get home runs in the in the ninth, you know, part of the order. I mean, Mike Zanino drove in a winning run in the American League Championship Series game one. Um, they're getting contributions up and down that lineup and off yeah. the bench. Willie as well. Adamas has been scuffling, but drew a couple walks to get on base and yes, yes, scored know. the winning run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, so, and that I mean, bullpen. So you know, tonight you've got a two-one lead. Blake Snell scuffles. But credit to him right. for only giving up one run in five innings in ninety some pitches, or maybe been over a hundred pitches. Um, it was over a hundred, yeah, yeah, over a hundred pitches. And, you know, he scuffles, but he keeps him in the game, keeps him. Mm-hmm. And then you use your B bullpen because your A bullpen was spent on Friday. You know, so you don't right. you don't have Fairbanks, you don't have Nick Anderson. You know, so you're using guys like Aaron Loop and John Curtis in in, in a two one game against the Astros. And you know, this is a unique year. In this too, and, and and it the Rays' first two series, this didn't happen, but they did not play the Astros this year. You know, so there's a lot of unfamiliarity, particularly with with the starting pitcher Valdez. As many of their guys have never faced Valdez before, and never faced you know, him, and they didn't they didn't face that team this year. And, and you know, in the first two series, the Rays played the Blue Jays and, and the Yankees, so they played division foes. But you know, you know, in this year, because of the travel restrictions, and everyone just stayed in the East Coast or the Central or. Um, the the West Coast, you know, your divisions. So there's a lot of new matchups, and, you know, you're going to see it in the, in the National League Championship Series, too. The Braves and Dodgers did not play this year. So there's a lot of unfamiliarity even from, you know, season to season. And, and you know, you didn't face Altuve this year or Correa or any of these guys, and the Rays hitters haven't faced their pitchers and stuff. So, you know, I think there's some feeling out process, too, in this, and I, I think, you know, some of the hitters struggle in that regard. Yeah, no doubt. And it, I mean, it was, you know, it was it was good that Snell got through it, but he got through it because, let's face it, they had some breaks. They had some balls laced right at them, and they had some amazing defensive plays to get them out of jams. 
when Kevin Cash went to Aaron Loop, who hadn't pitched in about 11 or 12 days, that was a risk. And mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, you have to keep the pitcher in there for at least three hitters. I know what he was doing. The matchup certainly favored him, but his first pitch hits the guy in the butt. And you can tell that he has not got command and his emotions are probably flying and all of that. And so it was a titanic struggle. And then they end up bringing Diego Castillo, you know, late in that inning to come in. He throws one pitch and a, just a tremendous double play, you know, by Brandon Lau that, that um, you know, backhands it, steps on the bag, throws to first. I mean, they, they made so many plays. Um, they're so good defensively, you know. Even when there was there was a base hit and a chance for Houston to score, and and you know because of the arms that they have out there, they held them up and mm-hmm. kept the bases loaded, and didn't score. So the pitching and defense is obviously the heartblood of this baseball team. But my goodness, how many one run games have these guys won this year? I mean, their record is just phenomenal, and and they're very comfortable. The thing is, they're comfortable playing that way. You know that that that's sort of their deal. Um, they'll they'll take the eight to two blowout once in a while, but for the most part, I mean they they just are you know locked down when you get when they get the lead on you after the sixth inning. I don't think they ever lose. Kevin Cash was asked about. I think Jason Stark from uh, asked him and said, you know, you guys play a lot of one run games, and some people say that's a fluke. You know that they're just fluky. It's a lot of luck. He goes, "Do you think it's a fluke?" And Kevin's answer was, "The analytic guys may say that you know there's a lot of luck or fluke because." Do I think it is? No. No. I mean, you know, we play these games. You know, this is what we do. This is what we've done for several seasons now is every game's a tight right. game. Every, You know, and it's, you know, we always talk about learning to win, and, and, and teams have to learn mm-hmm. to win. And it's not just, you know, how you play, but it's handling the pressure and the situation and, and, and not making too much of it. I mean, that's how, you know, they put, they put players in positions to succeed, you know. We talked about Shane McClanahan's gotten a couple appearances in this postseason. He's made his major league debut, but they didn't put him in the the two one game with you know in the eighth inning with the game on the line. They put him in when they had a big lead or little league, you know, or, or or were down big, and and you know he comes in and pitches very well, and that's experience and growth, and and they'll start to put him in higher leverage situations as he gets more experience and matures, and that's what the Rays do very well. Is they they put their guys in positions to succeed. Mike Rosso getting the at bat against Chapman and, and you know all that stuff. It's but this is what they've built to for several seasons now, from all the experience in the minor leagues to you know to now in the big leagues and everything else. And 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 don't forget, I was reminded by Josh Carey, who is uh, the youngest son of Skip Carey, um, legendary announcer for the Braves, and Chip Carey is his older brother, and and he used to work for the the Renegades team in uh, New York, which is the, I think the low a ball team for the Rays. He worked there several years ago and he goes for those people who don't understand the Rays and don't, and, and, and think that, you know, what they're doing is a fluke or whatever else. He goes, you know, I worked for them for four years in, in Hudson Valley and they won a couple championships there. And then the next step up they won championships and in in montgomery they did in durham they were you know when they won a championship when the finals like three years in a row or something he goes they are so loaded and this group has come up together i mean you know obviously they've added some pieces from outside but this whole organization they've built it from the ground up and they've come up together and they've won all these places along the way this is not a fluke 
they have a ton of talent in their system, and they win with it all the way through from low A ball and, 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 and that to Gulf Coast League all the way up through now the Rays or, you know, in the ALCS this year. Last year they went to the playoffs and won 97 games and won 90 the year before. This is not a fluke. This is, this is a really good baseball team. That you know, Eric Neander and and Heim Bloom and James Click, who's the Houston GM now, was part of this. I mean, you know, you see the Rays people spread throughout baseball, but the Rays are really good, and you know, it, it's it's so nice to see them succeed on this stage. But they've earned it and they've built to this for many years, and and that's part of putting people in positions to succeed, which the Rays do very well. What's really uh, interesting about this year and and maybe this series is that. The Rays are the favorite. I mean, a year ago, you know, they were trying to take down, you know, I mean, here's Houston's been to this this championship series four years in a row, right? And, you know, uh, cheating notwithstanding, which would have been an even bigger story had there been fans this year and um, they didn't have to face the wrath of, of visiting ballparks and things like that with fans. Um, but, but Houston has this swag and they have all this experience and they, I think, you know, um, most of their guys are back. And yet, it's the Rays that are favored, that because because of the what you just said, because they went forty and twenty, because um, you know they they have such a deep bullpen, and you know they got the stable as they call it down there, and a bunch of guys that can throw you know ninety eight and hundred miles an hour, and it really is impressive to see how many great arms they have, uh, and and then the ability to be flexible in their lineup. I mean, you throw a left hander, they're going to throw a right handed lineup at you. You throw a right hander, they're going to throw a left hander, and everybody on that bench um, takes ownership of, of winning. They all fall into their roles. They all know that the Rays are going to put them in the best position to have success. And then they go out and they win. And, and, you know, for a while there, I mean, you know, putting in putting in loop was, was a little bit risky. And I think, you know, after he hit the first batter, you saw Kevin Cash's reaction like, why did I do this? You know, he was kind of like, damn, because you don't want to obviously don't want to put the first guy on. But um, but you know what? It always seems to work out for them. It just always seems to work out for them. It's not an accident. It's it's their, you know, the the work they do, uh, advanced scouting and all the analytics and all the matchups, and it it just comes out. But uh, this is a fun baseball team. I'll say this: you know how the champagne bath used to be the big thing, right? I mean that that's what everybody lived for. You win you win a series, you're going on to the next one, and then here comes the bubbly, you know, and they they you know they they tarp up the lockers or whatever and you know some poor reporter or two are going to get doused with champagne just for the hell of it can i just say that in the covid era the celebrations have been better (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing better than those guys coming out with a big stogie that you could bat 300 with and then having a few beers and then i don't know maybe a dance contest breaks out or something like that how about the expert trolling how about the expert trolling oh Playing New York, New York, and uh, you know Sinatra walk-off song and all that. Yeah, that was expert trolling. It was awesome. Yes, absolutely. It really was. Even yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And uh, they're even whacking a few garbage cans in advance of the Houston series too. I did see a funny tweet. Um, Just going back to the Yankees real quick. I did see a funny tweet from Toy Cannon Cannon. It says, <laughs> "Since this NBA season started, the Yankees have been eliminated from the playoffs twice." <laughs> I thought that was a really good. That's, tweet. Yeah, that's really good. 
So, so they're up, you know, they're up 1-0 now in the ALCS, and they got a game this afternoon. They have an afternoon game after a day game, after a night game. Yep, Charlie Morton Next on two, the mound. two games are in the afternoon. Yeah, Charlie Morton's yeah. on the mound. Game three is TBA, but Yarborough's available. Glass now will pitch game four on Wednesday. So, and this is weird, too. Yeah. And, and look, your bullpen, this was a big win for the race tonight for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, just to take a serious lead, of course. But you won this game, and the only – the only arm in your A bullpen you used was Diego Castillo because several guys weren't available from pitching a lot on Friday. So you win a game without using your A bullpen in a series that's going to go seven straight days if it goes seven games. There's no off days in this American League Championship Series. So they're playing every day for seven days. Fairbanks and Anderson didn't pitch tonight. Well, the Astros used a lot of their A bullpen in game one and did not get the win. They were using it knowing the race didn't have their A bullpen, and they were hoping to get back in it, and they wanted to keep the race at two runs. And it didn't, it didn't work because they couldn't, they couldn't score. So Houston used some of their A bullpen. Granted, they had a little more rest coming in, so it's not like they're not going to be available today per se, but you, know, you start adding two or three days in a row, and they're not going to be available at points. So the Rays win a game without using much of their A bullpen outside of Diego Castillo, and the Astros used a lot of their A bullpen and lost. That's big. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and you know, um, I I I don't mean to troll this guy. I'm not trying to because I think he's a good ball player. But it, it, it was ironic to me um, that Altuve was the guy up there, you know, at the end of the night, and quite frankly, he was fooled on pitches. And the first pitch, he was sitting on something that he didn't get. <laughs> he was sitting on a breaking ball. They threw a fastball, and he took it down the middle for strike one. And all I could think of was, yeah, that might not have happened last year or the year before. <laughs> he might have been coming out of his shoes. It's a little harder to hit. And as is what, 220 average or 215 average will attest to during the regular season. But Although I will say, um, and I heard Neil say this homered. on the postgame, uh, Altuve is now 0 for 7, I think, with 4Ks against Castillo, Castillo in his career. Oh, so wow. Castillo actually so it doesn't matter. Altuve. He just doesn't yeah. hit him. Yeah, he just doesn't hit him even when he knows what's coming, I guess. But Castillo, I mean, who knew? I mean, this and this is the great thing about the postseason, right? This is the great thing about – I mean, Diego's been good for a long time, and th- there's been bouts where, you know, his um, you know, his control can get the best of him at times. But he is, he is becoming a star. You know, he's becoming a star of this postseason, and there's no question about it. When you close out a game to get your team to the American League Championship Series, when you close out game one, come in in the eighth inning, throw one pitch, get a double play, I mean, that sort of thing. I mean, it's just been it's been really good. And um, well, we talked about this last you know. year with him. If you remember at the beginning of last season, the Rays got off to a really hot start, and Alvarado and Castillo were just lights out for the month of April. Just, I mean, you know, it wasn't even fair when you know the batter stepped in the box against them. And then they started facing the Yankees and the Red Sox, which had thicker lineups because they were facing a lot of teams that their lineups weren't as good. And they got knocked around some, and it right. hurt their confidence. And you know, and and Alvarado then left, and you know, as he as he seems to do every year, and and that, and and he was hurt a little bit. Castillo was too, but by the end of the season, Castillo started to get that confidence back. You know, and they were putting him back mm-hmm. in higher leverage situations, and that. And then this year, he's had that confidence. I mean, look, a lot of closing is confidence. There's a lot of guys that don't want that ball in the ninth inning. Sure. Oh, absolutely. 
You know, you have oh, to want it. Now. You have it's to embrace different. it. Yeah, and and, and Castillo mm-hmm. is now there. I mean, he, you know, last season, like I said, I remember those guys starting, and then they kind of ran into some some thicker lineups and, and struggled, and then they lost that confidence. But Diego Castillo has it back now, and he's really good. Yeah, no, it's been it's been something to watch, and so. Yeah, I mean, look, they they have that look, and they're comfortable winning close games, and, and there's not a team doing it better than them in baseball. And, and like I said, they're the favorites now, which is funny. It's it's odd seeing them as the hunted and not the hunters, but that's a competent baseball team. And, you know, you could have – got the Stanley Cup that's been going around town. I've seen Cooper and everybody with it everywhere. Now you could have a team in the World Series. And we'll get to the Bucks here in just a minute. Speaking of the Lightning, though um, – some some moves over the weekend for them, right? Yeah, so a few players have moved on. Kevin Shattenkirk signs with Anaheim, got a three-year deal at $3.9 mil a year. Um, Zach Bogosian signs with the Maple Leafs, a one-year, $1 million deal, which that one surprises me. I thought, you know, that, that seems like in the wheelhouse of what the Lightning could offer. Um, not sure, you know, maybe he preferred to go to Toronto. Obviously, as a free agent, that's your choice. Um, reports of the Lightning have signed Pat Maroon and Luke Shen. Pat Maroon to a two-year deal, Luke Shen to a one-year deal, which is good. But then Tyler mm-hmm. Johnson, who it had been reported that they Lightning had talked to and he had given a list of a few teams, maybe up to seven or eight teams, that he would be willing to be traded to to waive his no-trade clause. Uh, the Lightning could not come to deals with any of those teams, so they put him on waivers on Friday when free agency started at noon. Yeah, um, Which, so... The hard part with Tyler Johnson is is you, you can try to trade him, and maybe they thought someone would claim him, or you know there was there's talk maybe the Lightning had already had somebody a deal that, in, in place that somebody would claim them, and then you trade them. This isn't to waive him necessarily, but you're trying to move him. Uh, a no trade clause does allow you to put a player on waivers, but he's got four years left at five million dollars a year, and in a year with a flat cap, that's tough for a team to eat unless you're willing to throw in something else to make it worth their while. You may have to throw in a top prospect to trade him or something. So, you know, the Lightning are still trying to shed some payroll um, because you're, you've got to sign restricted free agents in, in Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, and Eric Chernak. So um, I don't know where it's going to end. Yeah, it's it, not surprising. It, it's not. I mean, you didn't I mean, expect I mean, Tyler Johnson, and he's been such a big part of this franchise to be put on waivers per se, but I don't think they had any other options at this but point. But when you look at the economics of it, though, Steve, I mean, you know, at, at that kind of salary, right, a lot of teams, I mean, it's kind of like football. I mean, he has he has a lot of money still left on that deal, and, you know, other teams are trying to get under the cap. I mean, he, he was he's not, I don't know, I mean, he's, he's not necessarily the Lightning's, you know, top-line guy anymore. Um, and so – you know, someone would have to take on that contract. So you had two problems. I mean, you you wanted to get compensation for him in a trade, but then you also wanted the, the biggest thing was you needed to lose the the money for your off your cap. So you, you had to get rid of that salary. Everybody knows it. So why should I take this deal that you signed him to? If I think he can clear waivers, I can negotiate with him as a free agent. Well, and no, no, that, it's, that no, it's not waivers as a free agent. His deal is a deal. Whoever he signs, it's four years, at five million dollars a year left. So no matter, so even everything's though fully guaranteed. NFL's signs, NFL's the only league that doesn't have fully guaranteed contracts. His contract's fully okay, guaranteed. Okay, so so even yes. though he's released and he's on waivers, that contract stays with him no matter who signs him. That's correct. Yes, the contracts are fully okay. guaranteed. So so. The, so that Okay, well, yeah. Well, then that I stand corrected totally, but 
I mean, even then, I, why couldn't you get why couldn't you get something for him? Why wasn't anybody willing to because they knew you were in a bind and they knew you had to trade him? It could be that. It or, could be or dump him. Well, the hard part is, look, your cap's going to be flat for the next several years, and so long term. I mean, Taylor Hall, who won MVP a couple years ago and is a top free agent, signed a one year deal in Buffalo for eight million because the big money's just not there right now because. Teams are negotiating flat caps, and, and there's going to be a lot of teams that aren't going to spend to the cap at this point, particularly if there's not going to be fans in the stands next year or not full capacity. There's going to be a lot of owners that are like, we're not spending to the cap. You know, if the cap's $81 million or approximately, maybe we're only spending 70 You know, So and, where does Tyler Johnson end up because of these circumstances? I, I th- they'll work a deal out now that he's cleared waivers and now they can move him anywhere. You know, the problem is he had a no trade clause. So there's talk that there's some teams interested in him, but they weren't on his list to go to. And so now that he's cleared waivers, you can move him anywhere you want. That's my understanding of the deal. So they'll work out a deal this week somewhere or, you know, in the next couple weeks at some point. And, and, you know, he's from the Seattle area, you know, in that area. So. You know, maybe it's a you know it's essentially you're renting him for a year, and then you convince Seattle to take him in the expansion draft next year. You know, I mean, there's always talk. There was always talk. That's that, what I've know, heard. That you know, Tyler either wants to go there, or you know, maybe they'd be interested in having Tyler because he is from that area. You know that that Seattle sure. may want him for that reason. So it's hard to yeah. tell. It's it's you know it's a shame that his his tenure here in, in Tampa Bay ends this way. Because he's been such a huge part of this franchise and had, you know, a big contributor and in, in lots of huge goals in the playoffs, particularly back in twenty fifteen, the year they went to the Stanley Cup final. He oh, was yeah. he was huge in the, those playoffs. Um, he's a thirty goal scorer. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a guy that could score a lot. You know, that that, that line that everybody yep. uh talked about with the triplets and all that. Yep. So And it's not yeah, like it's, it's not uh, like the Lightning want to get rid of him. It's it's purely a matter of we've got to shed some payroll to sign some of these other guys. And it's, you know, that's the economics of winning in this league is that your players want to get paid, and rightfully Mm -hmm. so. So, Yeah, well, hey, speaking of the Lightning, and, uh, you know, people are still celebrating this thing. You've seen the Stanley Cup uh, paraded all over town, and that's a great thing. But if you you, you want to uh, not miss out on this offer, listen, we've got the best gift you can give yourself or the Bolts fan on your list you can save $10 off. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup Championship book. This thing is beautiful. 160-page hardcover keepsake. It's called uh, Thunderstruck, and it's filled with stories and photos from the Tampa Bay Times writers and photographers, the best in the business. You can relive the magical moments throughout the playoffs and the championship, and you'll feel, that you'll feel those uh, chills all over again from the entire season every time you look through this book, I promise you. So let's do this. Go to Bolts book.com that's boltsbook.com now and place your order the retail cost of this book is normally 39.95 but if you order now you can save ten dollars so that's 29.95 plus shipping and handling in the u.s books uh will uh, ship by december 4th so if you put them in uh if you're in the united states you'll get it by christmas i ordered mine last week so and uh and this offer now Jump on it because it expires on November 24th. So go to boltsbook.com. That's B-O-L-T-S book.com and order now. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. All right, so the Bucks uh, took the weekend off. Well earned, I guess. They got a lot of injuries. We know all about that. Sad news about Vita Vea. Um, of course, we all saw what happened in the game. Devin White came down on his leg, and it broke, and um, it is it is a fracture. So he's out for the season, and that's – I think that's – you know, if I had to list the number of guys or if I listed guys, you know, 1 through 11 that, that you probably didn't want to lose, Vea would be in the top three off that defense. I mean, um, you know, after, say, Levante David or perhaps Shaquille Barrett because he led the league in sacks and – um, you know, obviously, Devin White's very good, although they have Kevin Minter, who I think, you know, had stepped in and played well. But you can't replace a guy who was coming on as fast as he was at 300-and-something pounds, 330 or whatever it was, lined up next to Sue. That's what makes that the number one run defense last year, number two in the league this year, I believe. Um, and he was he was also now becoming a pass rusher. He had uh, two sacks already this year. A lot of tackles for losses, and the play he got hurt on was really a play that he had, he had no business even being in the vicinity. He just happened to hustle, uh, and in t- trying to make the tackle, got hit by some friendly fire. So, a very unfortunate, um, you know, injury for them. And really, no one exists on this roster that can step in and play like Vita. I mean, Raquez Nunez Roches is going to get a chance to replace him. Um, you know, behind him you have you know Khalil Davis from Nebraska, who's rookie. But this is going to be really hard to do. This is not going to be um, something they won't feel. This will impact their defense, I think, in many, many ways. First and foremost, the run defense. Now all the, the you know offensive line is going to shade Dendamakon Sue. He's going to get all the double teams. Um, some will be able to double team some of the outside guys as well. Those linebackers won't be running as free as they have been. So there's an awful lot that, that is sort of a uh, daisy chain you know, res- result of, of his injury. But that's the NFL. And speaking of injuries, I mean, you know, shoot, how about the one that uh, Dak Prescott suffered uh, against the Giants on Sunday? That was gruesome. Yeah, I mean, when you go into surgery that night already, you know it's bad. Oh, you're trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was it was it was a com. I think it was a, it was a, uh, a fracture, um, maybe of both bones in his leg and a dislocated ankle which is a whole nother deal. And, of course, I'm sure they were worried about possible arterial damage and things like that. We know what Alex Smith went through in a very similar-looking injury, to be honest with you. Um, and so you, you pray and you hope that that's not going to be Dak's fate. And, of course, that involved infection and post-op things. But, look, anytime there's surgery and, you know, you're putting in screws or you're putting things back together, um, you can have those complications. The sad thing about Dak is, in addition to just being an unbelievable guy, he was having his best year. He took a gamble on himself. Look, he could have signed a $120, $130 million deal, um, but he didn't get the number he wanted per year. He thought he was worth more, so he played on the franchise tag, which is no, nothing to sneeze at, but it's one year. And, and you know, and here he is now. Um, he's going to be coming out of surgery. I don't know when he'll be ready to play again. He'll be a free agent. Obviously, the Cowboys want him as their quarterback. I mean, they have Andy Dalton now. I don't know how far he's going to be able to take him, but that's not a gimme that, you know, 
that his value is going to be what it was before this injury, and that's the big risk for these guys. If I'm an NFL player, I'm just telling you, because football is the most brutal of all sports. There's nothing fair about it. You are literally one play away from ending your career, and that can happen in practice without contact. I've seen it. And the thing about it is, is their contracts are not fully guaranteed. Like we were just talking about hockey. Uh, they guarantee what they'll guarantee. You know, um, if it's a $100 million deal and you have so much in bonus or so much in guarantees per year, that's it. It rarely comes to the same number as the total value of the deal. But for a guy like Dak to turn down the kind of money that I'm sure he was offered on a multi-year deal to take the one-year franchise tender and then lose the way he did from a financial aspect. And that's not the most important thing to him right now. Um, But let's face it, we saw Cam Newton at age 30, not 35 or 40, but, um, you know, just in his 30s, sit out there all offseason because people couldn't go in and examine him. He was coming off the Liz Frank injury on, on the foot, and he ends up signing with the New England Patriots for basically the league minimum. You know, a little over a million dollars. Um, of course, he'll make more if he starts a lot of games, and now he's missed, uh, you know, missed time with the COVID. But um, this is what happens. Your value can drop dramatically, and injuries are a big part of it, you know. And it's just incredible to me that, you know, he had this happen to him. It was the saddest thing in the world. You see the respect that uh, both teams had for him. He was in tears. Uh, Jason Garrett, who is now the offensive coordinator of the um, Giants, of course, means a lot. Dak means a lot to him. He came across the field, and, of course, Mike McCarthy and the whole Dallas Cowboys team was there, and some Giants too. But that that was hard to watch. That was really hard to watch. So we have the injury to Vita Bay, and that, that was unfortunate, um, certainly over the weekend. But I wrote a couple of stories. You can check them out on TampaBay.com and Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Sunny Notes column was, you know, Bruce Arians came out after the game shortly and said, look, we were outcoached. And he was talking in, in – in large part to the penalties and things like that. But, no, you know, when you go back and look at it, he's right. Um, what was it, like 228 or so left in the game. They got the lead. They got the ball. Uh, they're at their own 16-yard line. And I just didn't like the play calling. I didn't like the scheme. And and I thought, you know, Chuck Pagano, who knows Arians really, really well. Now, in that situation, for the most part, it's not unusual to go with three tight ends because you're basically saying we're in our what we call the four-minute offense, even though it's less than that. And you just want to grind it out. You want to make them use their timeouts. They had two timeouts plus the two-minute warning. And you want them. You want to get all of those, right, in case, in case you have to punt the ball away um, and make it tough on them. But they only need a field goal to go ahead. So really, a first down or two, the game is over. And so on first down, you know, you run the ball. But you run it out of, uh, you know, out of three tight end, one back formation. And... The the other two tight ends outside of Gronkowski are not good are not really known for their blocking. I mean Tanner Hudson in particular, Cam Brate's gotten a little better, but you know that formation says we're going to ground and pound, which that's what anybody would assume, and it's the right thing to do. But Chuck Pagano counted with six defensive alignment, and he got through, and one of them overwhelmed Tanner Hudson and dropped Ronald Jones for a two yard loss. Well, now you're second and twelve. Whether that's a passing down. Okay, so you could run it there and get one of their timeouts. Um, and But again, they try to do it out of three tight ends with only really a, uh, you know eight-man protection and two, two receivers plus the running back who goes out late. Um, Brady doesn't have the two receivers. He tries to check it down, makes a bad throw, and now you're at third and 12. Well, third and 12 is a small percentage win for the offense. 
and they have to punt, and they get the ball and catch it almost at the logo, and before you know it, they're kicking a field goal to win the game. So that was not a good series by Byron Leftwich. And let's face it, penalties cost them this game. Uh, you know, they had, a, they had what, 11 for 106 yards or something like that. On one drive alone, one drive alone, um, I believe they had, you know, some, you know, 65 yards in penalties, not all of them accepted, but it was ridiculous. You know, you had, you know, Ryan Jensen um, getting into scraps and headbutting people. I mean, Brady sort of lost his mind over there on that offensive line for a minute, and rightfully so because these guys kept putting him in second and 20 all day. You know, he, he got beat up pretty good in that game now. He got hit a whole bunch of times, like eight times, got sacked three times, pressured on over 42% of his of his dropbacks, which is the most in a game since 2016, I think. And so, you know, it, it just wasn't – it just wasn't really a good performance, good coaching on either side. And then, you know, you can even, if you really wanted to get into it, I mean, they, they were up 10 nothing and went for it on fourth and one and got it on a sneak at their own, inside their own 30 or something like that. But late in the game, uh, they have a fourth and one. And, of course, the field goal puts them ahead and they kicked it. But it was never a discussion. You know, if you go for it there and make it, maybe you had a chance to score a touchdown and get some separation. Um, there's just a lot of things. But the the biggest takeaway is this. The Bucks, uh have had the most penalties uh, accepted against them in the NFL. And last year, they averaged the most penalties per game, and it was like 8.3, and they were third in penalty yardage. This has been an undisciplined football team for two years. And the biggest offenders are your stars, your highest-paid players. Donovan Smith leads the NFL in penalties accepted. Donovan Smith, okay? Um, I think he's had like three or four false start, a couple holding penalties, that sort of thing. Um, in fact, three of the top five players that have been penalized this year are all Buccaneers. Number, uh, the other one that's in the top five is Mike Evans. You know, and Mike Evans with some offensive PIs, which the, their referees are absolutely looking for. And then you still get the occasional unsportsmanlike conduct, which is, makes no sense to me. You know, a couple of years ago, you had that whole thing with Marshawn Lattimore got suspended. You think you learned your lesson. You can't be a tough guy all the time. You have to be a smart football player, and he's done done some things. Ryan Jensen, of course, as well. Um, the third most penalized guy in that list out of the top five is Carlton Davis. Carlton Davis has had like six uh, pass interference penalties, which is way too much because some of those can be giant chunk plays. Um, didn't get his head around on a few balls, sort of panicked a little bit, had good coverage. You know, I, I just thought you know they, they just didn't play smart. And this football team can't afford not to play smart. They're not good enough. Um, and Tom Brady needs a lot more help. So right about now, I think Brady is probably questioning <laughs> why he chose Tampa. Uh, I know he says all the right things, but remember, he comes from an organization where they don't do stupid. You know what I mean? They don't beat themselves. And he had been there for 20 years. And they were all they were all smart football players. That culture was you know the culture of beating yourself was ripped out of new england a long time ago well now he steps into a franchise that knows nothing but that right they've been beating themselves for the last 12 years so this will be the litmus test now we saw more uh, more of angry tom come out on the sideline i think i think it's going to be a rough week of practice for those guys but the biggest thing is they they need to get some guys healthy i mean you can't have you know mike evans is out there on one leg Uh, chris godwin's had a concussion they're not going to really do anything with him till Thursday. Scotty Miller played, 
never got a target. The guy played like 40-something snaps. It makes no sense to me. How does Scotty Miller go on that field and not get a target, not even a ball? Um, so, you know, L- Leonard Fournette was there. He was dressed, but he was the, you know, in case of emergency break glass running back. I think he had one snap, but he needs to get well. Sean McCoy, LaShawn McCoy needs to get well. They've got a lot of guys beat up. Kudos to Ronald Jones, who I've been on, that, you know, he's ran the ball as hard as I've ever seen him, made guys miss, was explosive, everything they want. So maybe they're forging a little bit of an identity with that. But here come the Green Bay Packers, and if you think they're going to take it easy on you, you know, that's maybe one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFC right now, with Aaron Rodgers is off to a terrific start. So even though there'll be more fans uh, at Raymond James Stadium and somehow the Bucks are favored, um, you know, this is this begins a gauntlet of teams that they have to play. Uh, in most of them national TV games. Of course, this one on Sunday will be 425, and I'm sure, you know, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman will be there. Then you have, of course, you, you know, they go on the road. They have a Sunday night game against the Raiders, and John Gruden, who upset Kansas City, went into the Chiefs and did them. Then they have a Monday night game against the New York Giants, who took Dallas to the brink. Then you have you come back and play a Sunday night game again against the New Orleans Saints. So think about these next four weeks and how major those are going to be. All right, so and also over the weekend, college football, I only saw part of what I thought was the most entertaining game of the weekend, and that was the Gators falling to Texas A&M. No defense for the Gators. Is it time to fire our defensive coordinator for Florida or what? Well, I think you just got to stop playing Jimbo Fisher, who owns Florida, basically. I mean, I think he went 7-1 and one when he was at Florida State against the Gators. Or six and one, something like that. Now he, you know, wins with Texas A and M. It was back and forth. Both quarterbacks played well. You know, it was kind of whoever got the ball last. That was a good one. Um, Florida State lost to Notre Dame. That was competitive for a minute, but not really. Uh, Miami uh, did not perform very well at rainy Clemson. They lost there. And USF Jeff Scott's got some work to do, doesn't he? Yeah, that was the game. You know, when you looked at the schedule, you're going, "That's the game we got to win." You know, there's not many wins mm-hmm. on that schedule this year, and you know, they, mm. has, and it's not a, it's not against Jeff Scott. It's look, you know, he didn't get a chance to have spring practice to put his systems in. He doesn't have enough horses in, you know, in, on the team at this point. You know, just doesn't have enough talent there. I mean, it looks like recruiting is going well for the future, but you know, when you don't have spring practice, your new coach, nothing's installed, nothing's a, you know, you're 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 going to struggle this year, and that was known. East Carolina. I think it's their first win in, against an American Athletic Conference team not named Connecticut since 2017. Ouch. You know, this, this, and this was at home. This was a game you needed to win, and you lost by 20 at home. That was not good. No, they, they definitely um, – they got to find some wins there somewhere. But, um, boy, it, it, was not a, it was not good. It was homecoming, too, and I know there was some, some fans there, I guess. But uh, that was a tough one. So not a good weekend for college football or for the Bucks. Um, for that matter, and uh, you know, like I said, they'll be back at it on Tuesday when the players come back into it. Meanwhile, we've got Game Two of the American League Championship Series this afternoon. We'll talk a lot about that tomorrow as well. And remember, folks, uh, go see our friends at Old Northeast Jewelers. They're at Fourth Street in St. Pete, of course. But now, uh, just this past Saturday, as a matter of fact, they opened their new store in Hyde Park. I love Hyde Park, by the way. My wife can stand down there. They have great restaurants and shops. Their grand opening, uh, of course, went really well, but they're at 1607 West Swan Avenue. 1607 West Swan, that's in Hyde Park Village in Tampa. Um, Make sure you go in there and check out the Grand Seiko watches. 
Um, it is uh, the ultimate in timekeeping. And tell them that Rick and Steve sent you, and you get one year, one extra year, I should say, of warranty on your purchase as Old Northeast Jewelers. So for Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.